Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. Man, good morning. How y'all doing? Doing all right? Man, it's good to be back here. It's, it's crazy how it's been already uh, about a year. I think I was back here in uh, last summer. My now wife, um, is, is, Ashley's now my wife, probably lots transpired in a year. But in my life, the biggest thing is that was we got married almost almost two months ago. So we're coming up on our two-month anniversary. So it's been a, man, it's, it's been an incredible, incredible year for sure. You know, I've seen a lot of similar faces uh, that I saw last year, so it's good to see you guys, and just, uh, man, just good to be here and be able to worship with you all this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pastor on staff at Grace Church in Southern Pines, as Sam, uh, Mr. Sam mentioned, Pastor Randy Thornton, who I know you guys know, he's, he's come down and visited you guys quite a few times, um, and, and ha- has a good connection with Pastor Willie, so I'm on staff um, underneath him at Grace Church in Southern Pines, and I oversee our young adults ministry and our men's ministry and uh, our connection process, so so I, I stay pretty busy up there, but um, I was asked to come down here because I think Pastor Willie's uh, taking taking a vacation, which is which is nice because I know you guys he loves you all, and I'm sure he pours out a ton of his time and effort and energy into this church. So it's good that you guys are man letting him get rested up. I'm sure he's having a a good break, just resting in the Lord. But what I, what I want to share with you today, you know, and I, as I was praying, I really. Um, Man, I really was just asking God, well, what does God want to say to this church? What does God want to speak to this specific group of people? Because I do believe that anytime the Word of God is spoken, um, it should be prayed into uh, because it's coming, coming to a specific group of people. And you guys are a specific group of people that God has brought together in this era, at this place, for a time such as this. So I want to speak to you uh, as if God was speaking to you. And as I was praying, I, what I felt the Lord say to me is that He wants to stir up your zeal for Him. I feel like the Lord wants to stir up the pot of your passion and your desire and your heart for Him. He wants to stir it up. He just wants to, that's the word I kept, kept, kept getting, was just, just a stirring, um, kind of like a reignition, like a re-sparking uh, of, that, of that fire for the Lord. And so, you know, I, I pray that this message... Um, would do just that. And I pray it would do it for myself as well, because can I get an amen? We all need a stirring of our zeal for the Lord every, heck, every single day, right? Uh, so, you know, I pray that it, it, it would do that in me just as well. So uh, what I want to do before we get into the Word of God is I want to I pray. So if you all would join me. Heavenly Father, we just come to you today, Father, in complete uh, and utter dependence upon your Spirit um, God, we know, Father, that unless Your Spirit is here and unless Your presence is here, God, we, oh God, we can't hear from You. And so, Father, we ask that Your Spirit would open our eyes, God. God, that You would give us revelation today, God. Uh, we don't just want information, God. We have enough information, God. We want revelation from the King of kings and from the Lord of lords who knows every single detail of our lives. So, Father, I pray, God, that as we open Your Word today, You would speak to every single one of us, God, in the situation that we find ourselves in in the stage of life that we are in. So God, would you give us a word to our hearts, God, so that we can take it and apply it to our lives so that we can look more like Christ. So Father, we lift up uh, today. Father, we thank you. Lord, just like just as Mr. Sam said, that where two or three are gathered, there you are. Father, we thank you that you are here with us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, amen. So what I want to do is, if you have your Bibles with you, if you could go ahead and open up to the book of Revelation. Uh, uh, that is the 
That is the very end of the book. Far, far right as you can go. The book of Revelation. If you would go ahead and open there, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. And we're going to be reading from verses 1 through 5. So, I'm going to ask anyone who is able, if you are able, would you please stand as we read the Word of God together? Revelation 2, verses 1 through 5. Again, I'm out of the ESV version. I believe they have a different version up here, so they'll they'll be very close, though. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. The word of the Lord. You guys can go ahead and be seated. Thank you. So this is our key text today that that I want to speak out of, and it comes out of uh, the book of Revelation. Now, uh, you probably don't hear a lot of messages come out of the book of Revelation because there's a lot of controversy over this book on whether this, uh, this text is, is literal or it's symbolic, representing something else. But the passage we find ourselves in today is actually located in a larger context of Scripture known as the letters to the seven churches. And we can learn a lot from these seven letters. Now, these seven churches that we'll find in this, pas- in this context of Revelation were located in what's known as the province of Asia. Uh, and what's interesting is these, all these seven churches, they had different strengths, and different weaknesses, very much like the churches that exist today. As you read the letters to these different churches in chapters 2 through 4, you'll see that some were faithful to the Lord under extreme persecution, while others struggled with pervasive sin. Some churches stood firm in firm defense of the truth, while others struggled with false doctrine. And the more we read about these churches, the more we see the same struggles and victories that exist in all different churches across all different types today. Some churches stand firm in the truth of Scripture, while other churches waver back and forth with unsound doctrine. Some churches are faithful to the Lord under difficult circumstances, while others are alive on the outside, but dead on the inside. And as we dive into this letter, there's one common thread. If you read all seven letters to all seven churches, in five letters to to five of the churches out of the seven, there's there's a thread that that you'll see, and it's one word, and it's repentance. In five of the seven letters, there is a call to repentance from the Spirit of the Lord through the writer, John, to these churches. Now, repentance, I believe, is perhaps one of the most beautiful privileges the Lord has given us as followers of Jesus. Uh, and corporately, as we see here in Revelation, as a church body. And why this idea of repentance is so beautiful is that I believe as God's Spirit moves and guides us, He leads us to repent, which simply means to turn away from. If I was turned this way, repenting would mean I'm going to turn, I'm going to start going in another direction. Think of just just a 180, right? A complete change. Repentance through the movement of the Holy Spirit, it's like a compass that helps guide us when we begin to drift off course, right? Because we're a people that drifts off course very easily. Can I can I get an amen? 
I mean, the scriptures compare us to sheep. If you know, if you know what, if you know sheep, sheep are not the smartest animal on the farm. They have a tendency to, to drift, and if they're not kept in close watch by the shepherd, you know they have, you know, we, we, you can read stories where, where they they have a tendency to even walk off cliffs because they they, ha- they have no they have no capacity to stay on course. So we we are likened to sheep in that aspect that we we tend to drift off course in life. And so as we look at this key text today, we read letter one of seven to the church that's located in what is called Ephesus. And as we'll see, the church of Ephesus, it was drifting. It was drifting, like all, like all churches have a tendency to do, to drift. And they were beginning to stray off course, and this letter from John, through the Spirit of God, helps remind them on the course that they were on before. Now, I want to give a little bit of background about this church, because I think it's important here. The church of Ephesus was one of the most powerful churches in the New Testament era. It was a church that Paul himself, the great Apostle Paul pastored at for three years. This was the place he spent the most time as an apostle pastoring a church. Uh, and we see the strength of this church noted in verses 2 and 3. If you would bring verses 2 and 3 back up on the screen here. Uh, he says, I know your works. I know your toil and your patient endurance. How you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. Verse 3, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So here we see perhaps one of the greatest strengths within the church at Ephesus was their defense of the truth. This was a truth-defending church. Because the biggest problem this church faced throughout their existence was arguably a constant battle with false teaching. Because Ephesus was located in a very pagan city, a non-godly city. Uh, It was known for its... uh, uh, for its uh, 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 the temple to Artemis, which was a, was a Greek god. So these people were very far from God. So when this church got planted, they really had to protect the truth of the gospel. And here we see John, John writing, God saying, I know you guys is worth. You guys have been defending the truth. You've tested those guys who claimed to be apostles, who claimed to be teachers, and said, no, you guys are false. And if we read Acts, we'll see there's specific men that this talks about, some influential men in Ephesus who were responsible for spreading false ideas, unscriptural ideas about marriage, about abstinence from certain foods, about supporting myths. So these guys were spreading these false beliefs throughout the church of Ephesus, and the church was, was protecting, protecting the truth. And that's what we see here in verses 2 and 3. Uh, so let's keep reading. Let's, let's, let's keep reading to verse 4. The Apostle John says, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. So here, this common thread that we find in these letters, at least five of them, is this word repent. Now, I want to point out something here that I believe is very important for us to catch. In verse 4, John says, but I have this against you, you've abandoned the love that you had at first. And then in verse 5, he says, because you abandoned that love, do the works you did at first. I want to to point that out one more time. In verse 4, he says, you have abandoned the love you had at first. And then in verse 5, he says, because you've abandoned that love, I want you to do the works you did at first. You catch the correlation here that God is making? 
He says, this is a church that's fallen out of love with God, and God tells them to go and do the works they did at first. Now, if you're reading this, you might think, well, wait a second. Wait a second. Isn't this passage of Scripture contradicting itself? I mean, didn't we just read? Didn't we just read in verse 2? I know your works. Your toil, your patient endurance. You cannot bear with those who are evil. You've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently. Bear it up for my name's sake. I'm not going to worry. Sounds like the works are pretty good. So God, so, so they're saying, John said, but you've abandoned the love you had at first. Go back and do the works you did at first. So here's the difference. The works they're doing in Revelation were different than the works that they were doing back when the church first started. This is a key difference here. There's, there's some wording here that we have to take note of. Because from, from what, when I first read this passage, I, I had to back up and say, wait a second. He just said their works were good. So why is he now saying you've abandoned the love you had at first and go do those works? Well, there must be a difference between the works we find here in Revelation and the, first, the works they did at first. Whatever at first means referencing to an earlier period of time. And me, this brings us to a foundational truth. A very foundational truth that we need to grab a hold of as followers of Jesus and as a church. And that is this. There's a difference in works that are performed for the love of God versus works that are produced from the love of God. And it can seem like such a small difference, but it makes a world, worlds apart. There is a massive difference between works that are performed for the love of God versus works that are produced from the love of God. Uh, let, let me give you just a, maybe an example of this. For those of you who are, who are married, and I can happily say I'm in that club now, I want you to remember when you first, first fell in love with your, with your spouse. Um, you know, your thoughts, your time, your energy, your whole life was just wrapped up in that person, right? You probably brought them flowers, took them out on dates, just just poured out all these actions that were being produced from just a welling up of the love you had for that person. But then perhaps, you know, hopefully this hasn't happened to anyone in here, but over time, you know, you start to drift. There starts to just become a slow drifting, and those works that you once once did out of that love for that person start to become just like a duty. Man, I've got to do this. I should be doing that, or I... Maybe I should take her out to dinner. I, I, you know, I need, I need to help with the laundry. And it starts to become almost a duty-driven type of activity. And this is what I believe John was saying. He's saying, remember the love you had at first when you met the Lord Jesus. Remember the works that were coming out of that love. He says, I see the works you're doing now. I see you're defending the truth. I see you're holding up. But you've lost. The love In church, we must remember that God looks at the motives of the heart. He's not looking at the outside because He knows if the inside is taken care of, the outside will take care of itself. Right? We remember Jesus taught this numerable times when He used, uh, when he used uh, analogies to, to, to such things such as fig trees and thorn bushes. Right? He says, a fig tree can't produce thorns and a thorn bush sure as heck can't produce fig trees. Why did he know that? Because you know what is inside of that tree is the fruit that comes outside of it. So we tell a tree by the fruit it produces. That was the words of our Lord Jesus. And this is what John is saying. He says, guys, man, you're scurrying on the outside, man. You're doing well, but man, it's not coming from a place of love. And that's what Jesus cares about. He cares about our heart. 
We read this in Matthew 7 on the the, uh, Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is speaking about those who will say, but Lord, we prophesied in Your name. We even cast out demons in Your name. And He will look to them and say, I never even knew You. Depart from Me, You workers of iniquity. Why? Because Jesus is looking straight at the heart. He's caring about what is going on inside. And that's what we want to talk about today. So, the writer here in Revelation points this out to this church. He said, guys, you're doing great, but you've abandoned the love you had at first. And he gives them their first exhortations. What he wants them to do here in verse 5, he says, first of all, I want you to remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Point number one, we must be a people that remembers. We must be a people that remembers. And this idea of remembrance goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Because as the famous hymn goes, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Again, church, we are a people that tend to drift. We're a people that tend to just float away. I, 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 uh, you know, anytime I'm in the ocean, you know, growing up as a kid, my parents would always say, alright, I want you to stay in front of the house, right? I want you to, you can go swimming in the ocean, but I want you to stay in front of the house at the beach. And, you know, you get a tide that comes in and all of a sudden, you're in, you're swimming, you're having fun, and then you realize it, you're like, man, I'm five houses down and I can't even see my parents' beach house anymore. I didn't do anything to drift, but I just drifted. And so John is saying, hey guys, you've drifted, but, but hey, I want you to remember from where you have fallen. And like I said, this is an Old Testament idea. One of the most notable times we see this is when the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River on dry ground after God had parted the waters. What God then did is He commanded the tribe of Israel to gather together stones from where the priests stood and they built a memorial. And what this memorial was, it would be a marker of God's faithfulness to the people of of Israel. So this idea of remembrance first starts in the Old Testament. The, the, the famous term with this, for this would be an Ebenezer stone. Maybe you've heard that word Ebenezer. It means a, means a stone of remembrance, to look back. And, and the psalmist tells that we should always look back and look, look back at what God has done. Why? It's because that's what brings us back from drifting, is we look back and we remember. And I believe our modern stones of remembrance is what I like to call journaling. That's what I like to call journaling. This is our modern way of setting up our 12 stones in, those, uh, in the Jordan River where God has done miracles. I, I love the times when I'm able to go back and read in my journals about what God has spoken to me, about what God has done in my life. Anytime I may start to drift, I can go back and read, no, God spoke to me this and I'm going to stand on this. These are our modern stones of remembrance. So as a people, I believe we should write down what God speaks to us. Because when we get in those times where we start to feel like, man, we're, I'm far away from God. I'm, man, my walk with the Lord is, is struggling. I can go back and I can get encouragement from what, either what God has spoken to me or what God has done. So if, if, if you don't journal, I would encourage you to because I believe that's how we as a people remember what God has done. And so here with the church of Ephesus, John says, you need to remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. So John is saying, hey guys, you need to look back from where you have fallen. So I believe we can get some insight on this because 
in, in, in Revelation 2 here, um, this was written somewhere uh, around A.D. 95. If we turn back to Acts chapter 19, we're going to get a glimpse of this same church some 30 years earlier. So if you have your scripture open, go ahead. I want you to hold your, hold, hold, if you have a little tassel, go ahead and let it, let it sit on Revelation and then flip over to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. Now we're going to get some insight on where this church started. This is going to give us some context about what, what this writer is telling this church to remember from where you have fallen. Acts chapter 19. Now this is where we find Paul on one of his missionary journeys and he's, and he's helping establish this church at Ephesus. Uh, starting in verse 8, uh, it says, And, and Paul, uh, he entered the synagogue and for three months he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil in the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him reasoning in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. All the residents of Asia, which includes this city called Ephesus. This is where we see this church beginning to form. Verse 11, it says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. I, I believe sometimes people, God, we, we need a remembrance of what God has done. There are miracles that God has done in our life. We need to look back and say, remember. Remember when, remember when God first met me, and the things that He started to do in our life as the sovereign King the circumstances He started to orchestrate, the relationships He started to build. For those of you who are in Christ today, God has done things in your life that are absolute miracles. If you are in Christ, you have miracles to look back at. And that greatest miracle is that He has saved you. Is that He reached down and grabbed you and did not stop chasing you. There's the miracle right there. And John says, hey guys, look back. And here we see, through Paul, that God is doing miracles. He's doing incredible things. We even see there's, there's a crazy story about evil spirits getting thrown out of, out of these priests, but I don't want to focus on that passage. I want to jump forward to verse 17. As God is doing so much here, as this church is beginning, it says, And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. I want to repeat that. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. What did the church at Ephesus do at first versus what they were doing 30 years later in Revelation? They were at first extolling the name of Jesus. I believe we need to extol the name of Jesus. What does that mean? That means we magnify the name of Jesus. There are many great famous preachers that talk about preaching the gospel to yourself every single day to remind yourself of what God has done and to extol or magnify the name of Jesus in your life. And I, I, want, to, I want to share that right now. Simply, the beautiful truth of what Jesus has done. This is how we magnify, right? Just as we were singing in the worship, 
We were singing about the cross. We were magnifying what God has done through His Son, Jesus. People, do you know that we have a God in heaven who is just and He is holy? We have a God in heaven who is just and He is holy. Which leaves us with a big problem, right? A very, very big problem. We are not a people who are just and holy. We are sinners by nature. As one man sins, so all have sinned. Romans 5. We are born into a sinful world. And because we have a God who is set apart and cannot be in the sight of a sinner, there is a gap that has been formed. However, but God, but God, hallelujah, but God chose out of His great mercy and out of His great grace to send down a sacrifice who would bear His wrath, who would bear His justice on His back, bear the stripes of our iniquities once and for all. And this is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who came down and paid once and for all for our sin so that we could be in relationship with a just and a holy God. And this is the good news, people. If you have not heard the Gospel, I pray that you would hear it in your heart this morning. You would know you would know that there is someone who came to pay the price that you cannot pay. And you have a choice because God has given us free will. He's given us the capability to make decisions. You either accept by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and turning away from your old life and surrendering to Him and accepting the sacrifice He paid on the cross and resurrected on the third day to pay for your sins so that you could be in relationship with God we either accept that sacrifice or we decide to pay for the penalty of sin on our own. There's one of two ways to go. And the thing is, God has already paid the price. It would be like this. I, I often think of, you think of a, of a man that has been sentenced to death in a courtroom. Perhaps he murdered somebody or he committed some heinous crime. And some innocent bystander, after the guilty verdict has been spoken and the electric chair is this guy's sentence. This innocent bystander stands up and says, wait a second, I'll pay for him. I'll take that penalty. I will die in his place. It would be like if you were in that man's position who had committed that heinous crime to say, no, I'll pay for it on my own. And I take it a step further because in Jesus' case, that innocent bystander already took the electric chair. He already paid for that sin. So to not stand under His blood would be a decision that you make on your own. So as a people, we must remember what God has done. That is why we're here today, church, is because of the, this good news. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. And this is what John says to the church. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Remember to extol the name of Jesus. Let's keep reading here after verse 17. 
verse 18, it says, Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the Word of the Lord continued to increase and prepare mightily. Which brings me to a third point, that we must be a people that removes. We must be a people that removes idols and distractions. One of my famous quotes, one of my most uh, favorite quotes, which is pretty famous, comes from Timothy Keller, and he says, Our hearts are human idol factories. What does that mean? Well, we see here the church of Ephesus. Again, this was a pagan center, and they practiced magic. Perhaps that was one of their idols. And here we see, as the word of the Lord started to take over this place, they started coming forward and confessing sin and getting rid of these practices, these idols. They burned them. Heck, it, it was worth what kind of the value? 50,000 pieces of silver. That's not a small price. And they just burned them and said, we want nothing to do with this. So, I want you, for those of you who are in Christ, do you remember back to when the Lord met you? Do you remember back to when God came down and met you in your, whether it was in a state of depression, whether it was in a circumstance that seemed impossible, whether you were in a state where you were completely turned against God and believed that He didn't exist, and He came down and met you and radically changed your heart. Do you remember that first time? I do in mine, and I, I, I remember it was a time like the church at Ephesus of confessing sin, divulging practices. I wanted to get rid of anything that got in the way between me and Jesus. Whatever idols that may be, whatever idols of relationship, idols of time, idols of television, computers, whatever it may be, that stood in the way of me and Jesus. I wanted to get rid of it. And that's what the church at Ephesus did when they first fell in love with the Lord Jesus. They got rid of all these idols. And that's why we as a people must constantly be a people that removes idols and distractions. Because we saw the church here in Ephesus in Revelation, they're doing good things, but John says, but you've abandoned the love. Because there are things that can steal our love. I can tell you what somebody loves by looking at where they spend their time. That's an, easy, that's an easy one. You can't tell me you love God if you don't spend time with God. That's like saying, I love my wife, but I don't spend time with her. That's like saying, I love my wife, but I don't talk to her. That's like our relationship with the Lord. How do we love God? Man, we talk to Him. How do we talk to God? That's what prayer is. It's talking to God. How does God talk to us? We open His Word. That's how His Word speaks to us. So I encourage you as a church, we must be a people that removes idols and distractions, replaces it with our relationship with the Lord. This is how we stir up our zeal, our passion. We remember from when we first met the Lord. So let's just do a do a, a, a brief a brief review here. Um, we see here that this church of Ephesus is doing great things. They're defending the truth. They are calling out false apostles. They're doing everything they can to keep this church pure. But John says, man, remember from where you have fallen. You've abandoned your first love. 
And we saw that the first thing, the first thing that they lost, the greatest thing that they lost was their love for the Lord. Because we must be a people that remember. So he says, hey guys, remember. Remember from where you have fallen. And as you remember, remember to extol the name of Jesus. Magnify the name of Jesus in your own life. And then thirdly, you need to remember to remove those things that are getting in the way of your relationship with the Lord. So I, I, I present that to you today. Because this word is for us as well. It's not just for this church at Ephesus. We read these letters to these churches. Man, these, these are like, like who we are. These, these letters are letters that we can apply to our own lives. What are those things, church, that are getting in the way of your relationship with the Lord? And you know what they are. They may be things that consume your time. And again, these may not be bad things, right? Because the one who's coming to steal, kill, and destroy... His name is the deceiver of the brethren. He's a deceiver. So I don't think it's going to be something extremely evil that's going to distract you from your relationship with the Lord, but just that thing that seems like it's not harmful, but it's consuming your time. And when it begins to consume your time, it begins to consume your affections. And when it begins to consume your affections, it begins to take over your heart. And when it begins to take over your heart, it starts to turn it. And it starts to become that which consumes all who you are. That's how idols start. And so I want us to be a people that always remembers and always is sensitive to Lord. If, if, if To have a heartbeat. Lord, I don't want this to be an idol. Lord, I lay this down at your feet. Lord, I don't want this to take over my relationship with you. We have to be a people that's constantly sensitive to these things. Because as Tim Keller said, our hearts are, are human idol factories. Whatever it may be. I love, one of my favorite messages comes from Pastor uh, Matt Chandler in Texas. And he says, he says, fill your life with things that stir your affections for Jesus. And, he, and, he, tell, and, and he, he says in his life, things that stir his affection for Jesus are early mornings. Strong black coffee. An old Bible and some of the writings of Jonathan Edwards. He says, and then hours blocked off to sit there and get my affections stirred up for the Lord Jesus what are those things that stir your affections for Jesus? Perhaps it could be going out and walking down a trail out in, out in, the, out in the woods in nature and pr- praying to the Lord. Perhaps that stirs your affections for Jesus. Others, man, it might just be going and getting in that dark secret closet where you can speak to Him. Whatever it is are those things that you first had, those things that first stirred you up. Remember those things. And God says, return to those things. Return to me. Come to me, because God, God is waiting. God wants that personal, close relationship. Because at the end of the day, this whole passage we just read, it points to one thing. God's more worried about your heart than the outside. At the end of the day, you know, we can, we can close this message up and say, all right, what do we pull from that? God wants your heart. God wants your heart. Because, man, it's easy to come in here and it's easy to give God our you know, 10.30 to 11.45 on Sundays. Sure, I can do that. But to give God your heart means you give Him 24-7 access. That's a whole nother lifestyle, people. That is a whole nother ball game. Uh, believe me, I lived that, I lived the outside life without giving Him the heart for a long time, and it's a miserable way to live. So I, I just want to 
I want, I want to just have, have a time of response. First of all, I want to have a time of response for those people who, who don't have a relationship with Jesus yet. Maybe you came in here today and you got invited by your friend, you know, and they dragged you here and you didn't know what you were coming to. You just wanted to appease them. And now you're hearing that God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you and he wants to have a relationship with you. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he cares for you. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wishes that all would come to a knowledge, a saving knowledge in their heart of Jesus. And if that's you here today, man, I pray that you would start a relationship with Jesus. Now, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. That's a decision that will cost you absolutely everything. All your time, all your energy, all your money, all your resources. You're saying, Lord, I'm going all in. But it's a decision that will gain you everything. Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? And that's a rhetorical question. It means he's lost absolutely everything. For whoever will try to save his life will actually lose it, Jesus said. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I pray that you would find life today. If you have not, that you would do that by losing it to Jesus. Would you pray with me right now? Father, we know that the greatest gift You've given us is to be able to have a relationship with You through Your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray, Father, for those that are in here today, God, God, I pray You would show them right now. Give them a revelation just like You, just like you gave Peter, God. That Jesus is the Messiah. And that He died on their behalf so that they could come into a relationship with You, Father. Father, would You show them how, how much You love them, God. Father, that while we were Your enemies, Father, You died for us. Father, would You show them that great love today, Father. That great mercy and that great grace that continues to chase and chase and chase until we surrender. Father, would You show them how much You love them today, God. Whatever they are going through, whatever pain, whatever hurt, whatever struggles they are going through, would You show them Your love, Father? And if that's You in here today, and You're feeling, You're feeling the tuggings on Your heart right now. You're feeling the Spirit pulling You towards the Father. He wants You to surrender Your life to Him. He wants you to put your faith in Him and trust in Him, not just as your Savior, but also as your Lord. He wants you to repent and turn away from your old life and begin a new life in Jesus. So if that's you here today and you want to make your response, a response that will change your eternal destiny, a response that will change your life forever, if you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus, and declare Him as your Lord and Savior, and repent and turn away from your old life, I want you to declare that right now in this place, amongst this church, by raising your hand. Simply putting your hand high up in the air so that we can see this as a family and walk with you. Walk with you as a family following Jesus together. And now, Cornerstone, I want to pray over you as a church.
And I put myself as well under this prayer. Father, we ask, God, that we would not forget the love that we had at first, Father. Father, would you stir our love for you, God? Would you stir our desires for you, God? Would we be a people that sings like David, that would be like a deer panting after streams of water, Father, would we desire to be in Your presence where there is fullness of joy and at Your right hand where pleasures are forevermore. Father, we want to be a people that remains in Your love, God. So, Father, I pray You would stir our passion and our zeal for You, God, because I know this is the one thing the enemy is coming after, God. He doesn't want us to be a people that is passionate about the Lord Jesus. He doesn't want a people, us to be a people that is zealous for the things of God because he knows if we are zealous in our heart, it's going to pour out in our lives. It's going to pour out in our families. It's going to pour out in our workplaces. It's going to pour out in the city of Lynchburg. It's going to pour out across this nation. So, Father, would you stir our zeal for you today, Father? God, would you stir our hearts for you today because you are worthy, Lord. You are the greatest, Father. You love us so much, Lord. God, would you give us more revelation of how much you love us, God. More revelation of the beauty of the Gospel, God. Would you give us more revelation and insight, God, into your heart and your care and your love for us, God. Lord, stir us up as a people, Father. Stir us up, God, in this generation, God. Stir us up right now, Father. God, to be a people that loves You, God. To be a people of the secret place, God. To be a people that tucks ourselves away and spends time with the Lord so that we can then go out and overflow and share this love with the people who don't know You, Father. Because there are so many people, God, that do not know You, Lord. Father, and You want to use us, Father, as vessels to reach them, God. Wherever, we, wherever we, we step our foot, 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, God, You want to reach the people around us in our workplaces, God. You want to reach the people around us in our families that are not saved. You want to reach the people around us, God, in, in, in the hobbies that we have. So all the relationships we have, God, they all depend on our relationship with You. So, Father, I pray that You would strengthen our relationship with You. I pray, God, just as we hunger for food, I pray we would hunger for You spiritually, God. I pray our souls would hunger for time with You. Time in Your Word. Time in prayer. God, I'm praying almost selfishly this for myself, God, that our hunger, my hunger for You would grow and grow and grow and increase, God. Because we will be a people unstoppable. We will be a church in which the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. And I know that if we are zealous for the Lord Jesus and if we are full of His love. And so, God, I just pray that over this body right now. God, I thank You for this church, God. Father, I pray that You would continue to move mightily in and through this church, God. Continue to use them to change this community, Father. God, I pray You would build them up, You would encourage them, and You would strengthen them in Your love today. God, we thank You for this opportunity to come and worship You this morning. God, and as we go from this place, God, let this Word not remain within these four walls. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, thank you, church. It's it's been a pleasure, man, just being here with you and sharing. Um, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia, at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com. Contact us by email cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at four three four eight four seven four seven nine six. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.